Well, our moms think we're funny. Hi, I'm Akomi. Hey, this is Torque182. Welcome to Our Moms Think We're Funny. Uh, so, uh, Akomi, start. <laughs> so, today we're talking about Event Horizon, and kind of a funny uh, story as to what led up to this particular sequence of events for us, but, uh... We, we've been enjoying some of the videos off of uh, James Rolfe, also known as the Angry Video Games Nerd, off of his channel Cinemassacre. And uh, they've, in the past year or two, I guess, have started up what they call the Rental Review Show, where they set up in an old video rental store and they review old films that they either like or they really dislike. <laughs> it just kind of depends. And usually it varies, because there's like four guys who review, typically. Is that yep. right? Yep. So there's like four guys, so usually you get a really nice balance of opinions, because you'll get guys who absolutely love the movie, and then you'll have the next guy say, I hated it. And you get this really like interesting spectrum of debates amongst the four of them. So uh, one of the movies they've talked about and reviewed was Event Horizon, and I watched that review and was like, that seems like a really interesting movie. So... Texted Turk and was like, I don't know if you've seen this particular review from them, but I want to see this movie. And so he was like, yeah, we can watch that this weekend. So here we are. <laughs> yep. So I had also seen it and uh, watching the Cinemasker uh, rental reviews. And I was like, oh, you know, because I've I watched a couple of reviews already. And I was like, I was like, oh, OK, cool. And I listened to some of the things they say. And I was like, you, you kind of left some stuff out. I was like, <laughs> you didn't talk about this and you didn't talk about that. And, and we talked about, you know, how, uh, same thing when they did their Congo review. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I mean, I like the reviews and I like, I like watching his stuff, but I was like, come on, you've left some important things out. Um, uh, and, and I was like, oh, and then when Akomi said he hadn't seen it, I was like, okay, let's watch it because, you know, I enjoy it. Now, uh, I, I, okay, well, well, I guess we'll just kind of, kind of start here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I so, saw. Who, who directed this? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> I saw Event Horizon when it came out in theaters. Uh, I ended up watching it by accident. Nice. I was uh, going to the theater with a guy, and we were actually going to go see Copland. And I somehow got the wrong times or whatever. Now, this Event Horizon came out in, was it 97, I think it says? Uh, yeah, 96, 97. 97. Yeah. Right? So, you know, 97. It wasn't as easy to just, you know, pop on online and be like, let's check out the movie reviews. You know, there were no <laughs> smartphones. You know, you know, Blackberries were shite. Um, I guess Blackberries still are shite. Um, do anybody uh, even know what a Blackberry is? I mean, a few people do, but I don't think they're really commonly used. Yeah. Um, well, actually, there's supposed to be the, the... So, Blackberries, if I remember correctly... Um, are are actually supposed to be like more secure phones for like um, for like company and like government use, but everybody wants to use an iPhone, which right. aren't as secure as the BlackBerry. At least that's what I remember being told. <laughs> Interesting, because um, they they weren't as fancy, you know. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, so you couldn't just find like the movie times. And I don't even remember how I ended up looking it up. Maybe, uh, anyway. but uh, we went to the. Um, we went to the theater and had missed uh, Copland by, you know, like 20 minutes. But Event Horizon was about to start. And we're like, well, yeah, it seems pretty cool. So watched Event Horizon. <laughs> and I dug it. I mean, you know, at the time, I I mean, I still like it, obviously. But, yeah, it's uh, pretty good. 21 years later. It's, it's not 
I'm not going to say it's the best movie in the world. If you're talking about a sci-fi horror movie, it's no alien. Right. Even though you can see where they were influenced in some scenes by alien. Like oh, the, yeah. uh, like the, uh, the, I can't, it's not a, it's not a vent. It's not a hallway. It's the internal computer chip scene. I don't know. Oh what, yeah. What you, um, they, they said he was in duct, but yeah, I mean, yeah. he's, he's like in the ductwork, but the ductwork is like lined with circuit boards that, uh, controls the core of the ship. So, so I, yeah, I guess we should like like elevator pitch this movie for those who haven't seen it. Um, it basically, the the way James Rolfe described it is Hellraiser in space, which I think is kind of a perfect description. So this is a uh, we're actually looking on IMDb right now at some of the pictures. Oh God damn! Yeah, yikes! Oh, yikes! <laughs> <laughs> so IMDb actually has a picture of uh, a still of. Uh, Good okay, wait a minute. <laughs> there's only there's only two chicks in this movie. She's where's one of them right there. Uh huh. And so who's this busty chick right? I Did the ship bring in extra people just to torture? I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think uh, it's showing like all the souls that were like from the previous crew that were captured. Well, this is supposed to be his crew. Because remember, he's like, "Let oh, me yeah. show you." And oh yeah, jeez, I don't know. Anyway, so sorry. So there, there, there's a there's a scene. Somebody's got some rocket tits. Where, where, where like scenes, like images are flash or whatever. IMDb actually has a still of one of those scenes, and you can see a bunch of horrendous stuff there. Um, I think before we go any further, if you haven't yet watched uh, Cinemassacre rental reviews uh, on Event Horizon, because they do talk a lot about the, I guess the original director's cut and how they filmed a lot of the really really bad stuff yeah that didn't make it into the theatrical showing it's not on any of the dvds or anything like that oh the footage is destroyed yeah because they, they put in like a salt mine or something like that yeah they stored. stored it in a salt mine yeah <laughs> in like what was it it wasn't it wasn't iraq it was like cambodia or something yeah, like you're that. Some, you're some some weird place some, anyway, some podunk country that nobody's ever fucking heard of <laughs> but but yeah watch the review say they have a lot more information on them what than what we have yeah they've it was they it's a very informative review so uh so um yeah so you said let's talk about the director uh right <laughs> yeah so so who the heck directed this turd so this movie was directed <laughs> by Paul Anderson, who later changed his name to Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, As one does. Because he needed to differentiate himself from Paul Anderson, the guy that, you know, did Magnolia and stuff like that. Um, and uh, Paul Anderson, W.S. Anderson, you may know him from such great movies uh, like Mortal Kombat, uh-huh. the first one. You know, not, not the second one, which is really shitty. But the first one. <laughs> Which totally isn't shitty. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> your soul is mine. Uh, this is the part where you fall down. Uh, I'm sorry, I could just... It's, um, it's what $2,000 sunglasses, asshole. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, yeah, he, he directed like great movies like Mortal Kombat, um, Soldier with... Uh, uh, I'm looking at his name right. Kurt Russell, um, Resident Evil, which which we all loved the Resident Evil movies. Isn't um, Mila Jovovich in this? Yes, she yeah, is. I like her. Uh, Alien vs Predator, the remake of Death Race, and then 
Resident Evil. So let's let's see <laughs> let's see what he's made. So he did Resident Evil in 2002, starring Mila Jovovich. Um, then in 2004, he did Alien vs Predator. Uh, in 2008, he did Death Race. Um, in 2010, he did Resident Evil with Mila Jovovich. Then he did Three Musketeers with Mila Jovovich. Resident Evil Retribution with Mila Jovovich. Um, Pompeii, which I don't think actually had Mila Jovovich in it. Resident Evil: The Final Chapter with Mila Jovovich. So he's done a lot of movies with Mila Jovovich. Wasn't he married to her? Oh, and he's actually directing the adaptation of Monster Hunter. And who's in? There's the, a uh, Monster Hunter movie coming, and it's got Mila Jovovich in it. I want to see Monster Hunter with Mila Jovovich in it. <laughs> Directed by Paul W. S. Anderson. Yeah, I'll take it, man. <laughs> and Ron Perlman and Tony Jaa. Oh yeah, we've got to see that. We have to see Monster Hunter. So, um, monsters are coming. <laughs> so here's a picture, by the way, of uh, Tony Ja and Miljovic hunting monsters, and they have the big ass club, the big old dang club from Monster Hunter. That's so cool. Okay, so so anyway, so, uh, so, so uh, little little bit of a. Hold on, let me finish ragging on Paul W. Sanderson. Well, I was about to say yes. Yeah, so going back to the, the movie, a little bit of a bad stigma with the director. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because, well, you know, he's known for his high-quality stuff. Um, <laughs> I think he's won, let's see, two, three, four, I'm counting the number of Academy Awards that he's won. Five, six, seven, times zero. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. He, he's, he's, and I'm not saying he's a piece like, like, oh, you know, he can't direct it. You can put... You can put a camera, you know, put a bunch of people in front of a camera, but that doesn't make you a good director. Right, you right. Know? Uh, and I think we've seen that with a lot of movies lately where, you know, it's like the movie is like turns out to be like look really good or it looks really bad. And they're from good directors like, well, you know, once they got to the editing room, you know, I was locked out or this happened or that happened. So. You know that. Right. Like, so just because a movie looks pretty good or turns out good doesn't mean that the director is really good. I mean, Brian Singer, for one, is a shite director, right? <laughs> and no matter what you say, you can't tell me anything that he's done that was actually a a good movie based on his direction. Not saying that he didn't that he didn't direct some movies that were good. I'm yeah. saying his direction yeah. is horrible. Yeah. Um. And so I think Paul W.S. Anderson is the same way. And how this guy continues to get jobs. Uh, well, okay. You know what? Because because I'm <laughs> ragging on him. And I know this, we're going way off topic. Um, a little bit, but it's important. So. Not really. I'm just running my mouth off. Like, <laughs> spewing shit. You know, it's like, good thing it's on the internet. Because now I just look like everybody else. Um, okay. So Resident Evil, the final chapter. We'll see. Um all right, let's get down here, IMDb, and it says, <sighs> box office, 40 million, gross, 312 million worldwide. So, hmm. God. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, God, these movies suck. <laughs> Oh man! Well, I mean, he's certainly no Tom Kincaid. Tim Kincaid is. It was Tim, oh yeah, Tim Kincaid. Tim Kincaid, yeah. Dude, I, would, I tell you right now, I have seen more Tim Kincaid movies than I have Paul W. S. Anderson movies, <laughs> and I'm not even including the porn that Tim Kincaid made. 
I'm just including <laughs> just the ones. <laughs> just, the, just the sci-fi ones. But I'm going to tell you right now, Dad Goes Fishing. Man, I tell you, you've never seen gay porn until you've seen Dad Goes Fishing. The only thing I didn't like about the movie was that he never actually went fishing. Well, he just went fishing for a different thing. I mean, he fish hooked a lot of people, but... Anyway, uh, skipping the witches. So, um, so I, I mean, okay, I guess I see he's bankable as far as that goes, but well, like in the same capacity that like Michael Bay is bankable. Yeah, like he's he's given good enough properties to where you know people are going to watch his shit, but he's still a really bad director. Yeah. But all that said, I mean, Event Horizon wasn't a bad film. No, it's not. But uh, we were discussing before we started recording, I don't think the goodness of the film comes anywhere from the directing. I will say it's not it's not poorly directed. True, true. But there's, it doesn't have any, the directing itself doesn't have any style to it. There's no, right. there's nothing about the directing that stands out. It's, we can say that it's competently directed. I would go with that. It okay. is competently directed. It's like it's directed to the point of being watchable, but there's nothing in it that makes you go, "Wow, that was a really good decision on the director's part." Right. And like you can say that with like you know a lot of like Zack Snyder's films. You can say that with uh, like Fight Club movies like that. Oh, David Fincher's movies. Most yeah. Definitely. Oh man, David Fincher is great. Um, uh, and oh, we're, we're not we're not going to bring up like masters like Spielberg and Scorsese and stuff like that. I mean, because obviously, you know, yeah, I mean that kind of goes without saying. But like um, Edgar Wright, I mean, good yeah. grief, Edgar Wright's directing totally carries his movies. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you could you could take a movie with an absolute shit script and he would still be able to make it look good just based off of his directing. So I think that's a good point that we're talking about when we're talking about directing. Is you mentioned Edgar Wright, and so let's take for example Baby Driver. Oh okay? yes. So you look at Baby Driver and. The one thing about that movie is Baby Driver is written with a soundtrack in mind. Mm -hmm. It's written to a beat. Absolutely. And so when you're watching that movie, right, and of course it's edited to go along with that, but when you're watching that movie and you're seeing the way it's laid out and the way it hits those beats to the music, Mm -hmm. you know that that had to be planned in the directing of it. Oh, yeah. As opposed to just saying, here's a script. I want you to enter from here. I'm going to put the camera here. Just let, make sure everything stays in frame and let's go. Right. That's the difference. So when we're talking about directing and, and talking about style, we're talking about, you know, we, when they talk about really good directors, how they say this guy, this woman has a vision and they know exactly where they want each piece to go. Like they want you to kind of come in here. The camera's going to move this way and that sort of thing. Kind of like a... We, you know, because we, we're both huge Fight Club fans. We talk about David Fincher a lot. Oh, yeah. If you watch the uh, the making of Fight Club, where they built a scale of the house, right? A miniature of the house. And right. David Fincher is talking about how they had to make the one doorway slightly wider because in one shot, he wants the camera to move in and follow through this. <laughs> now, you're talking about that, how he want, how he's seen that scene before they're planning, before they filmed it. I mean, yeah. they built a miniature of the house so he could plan a scene because he already had it in his head as opposed to, here's a script, I'm going to put that there. Now, I'm not saying that's how Paul Anderson does it, right? But like I said, we're talking about style and how that carries through and, and makes the and gives the movie more depth in life. I don't get depth in life from the directing. I get it from the script and from the acting. Right, right. And, you know, and I think you can say this with many, any movie is that 
a movie is only as good as like the three or I like, guess there's many parts, but you know the three parts that make it up: the acting, the script, the directing. Totally. You know? Yeah. And part of the directing is also you like your cinematographers and stuff like that, and then the editing because you know you have to have directed some really good stuff for the editor to really kind of piece it together. Right. You know? Right. And some editors can work magic with garbage, right? But but they would say, I'd prefer not to work with garbage. Right, you know? yeah. I mean, some people make really good art pieces from garbage, but right. you know, they'd really <laughs> much rather have some, like, would you rather work in, like, you know, in crystals or, you know, <laughs> old Coke bottles? And- right. Well, that's what I was going to say is, like, you know, I can I can make some pretty decent art with, like, a stubby Crayola crayon, but I'd rather use <laughs> Manga Studio here. So, well, <laughs> uh, so... I, so that that's kind of like going to to what he does and getting to the movie itself, all right? It's got the Jurassic Park guy in it. <laughs> yes, it does. It does have Sam Neill. Um, and it's got Morpheus. So uh, okay, so let's let's bring up something real quick here about Sam Neill, which I think is important to say, um, which is Sam Neill in this movie. So let's guess we should talk about the movie, right? <clears throat> yeah. For those of you who didn't stop in the middle of this to go and watch like Cinemasker and then come back. <laughs> um, so Sam Neill is uh, Dr. Weir and he's the guy that created this ship or designed this ship called the Event Horizon. The Event Horizon um, had this uh, this drive which allowed it to reach what uh, faster than light speed. Yeah, yeah. And on its maiden voyage, when it was supposed to go to, like, the farthest reach of the galaxy, it disappeared. It was gone for, like, seven years. And the world was told, the, you know, because the world was told that it blew up. Um, and, uh, but it didn't really. It just disappeared. Seven years later, it returned. And they've sent a, uh, a search and rescue vehicle of, uh, ship out to recover and find out what happened. So that's where you get Lawrence Fishburne and his crew that come in there to get this. And they're none too happy because they were pulled off a more lucrative job to come and do this, which then takes them further out than where they wanted to. And each person has their kind of reasons for not, you know, not really wanting to be a part of this. Uh, well, I guess some don't really care, but, you know, Lawrence Fishburne doesn't want to be a part of it. There's, uh, and a couple other people are like, you know, we were supposed to be on our way home soon and we had another job we we're doing and now we're going, you know, but uh, was it took them 72 days uh, from yeah. when they picked him up and left to when they actually get to the event horizon. So it's going to take them another 72 days to get home. So you're talking about, ha- you know, uh, almost half a year. Yeah. Just for them to, you know, to do this thing and come back. So, yeah, yeah, that's a lot. You know, that's a, that's a lot for people that were already probably had been gone for several months. Right, um, right. Yeah, and uh, so things start to happen aboard the Event Horizon. And uh, it starts to frequent everybody. And uh, then their ship is compromised. And they're kind of stuck out there, you know, with a ship that... Um, they don't fully trust for one reason or another. Yeah. And of course, we're going to be getting into the spoilers of the. Yeah, okay. yeah. We'll definitely be pretty spoiler heavy here. But yeah. um, but just, just to lay out the groundwork here. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, like things start to hit the fan and it gets pretty bad. Um, so going back to the, the actual script and the actor. So you've got uh, Sam Neill, Dr. Weir. You've got Lawrence Fishburne um, as the, the ship's captain. And then you've got his extra people there. And you've got a strong cast. You've got Sean Pertwee. You've got Jolie Fisher. Oh, you've got uh, Jason Isaacs. 
Um, you've got uh, oh, what's my man's name? Uh, Richard T. Jones, and so you've got a you've got a pretty good cast there. Um, and they they really do carry each one of their their particular like you know characters and parts. Um, some are surprisingly small cast, honestly. Some aren't as fleshed out as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, Jason Isaacs plays the ship's doctor. Um, and at one point, Sean Pertwee's character starts to flip out, right? And it's because he, he doesn't like anything about the Event Horizon ship. He doesn't want to be on it. And he's, and as Dr. Weir starts to kind of, uh, as Dr. Weir starts to kind of turn against the crew when they're saying, hey, things don't seem right about this, then they start to grow more and more distrustful of him. Right, and uh, and so that kind of that kind of uh, flips Sean Pertwee, and Jason Isaac grabs him at one point and to hold him back and puts a scalpel to his throat. Oh yeah, and you're like you're like okay, so you need to calm down. You need to calm down. Right, and then and and he's not and from the way from the reaction from uh from the the captain uh Captain Miller Lawrence Fishburne's character. From the reaction he has, where he kind of indicates to him, "Hey, you've got a knife to this guy's throat." He's not even aware of it. Yeah, but we don't get any real backstory on him to say why, as a doctor, that was his immediate reaction. Yeah, you know, we we do get like a so. Um, See, Cooper. I just assumed that that was the ship messing with him. Well, and that's the thing you don't really get. Like you kind of see everybody else's thing, like where it's messing with them. You don't get one from. Well, okay, so let's say Cooper is the comic relief. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, uh, the the other um, the what's her name? Uh, Peters. Right. She's the other med tech. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got an issue because she her it's her son's birthday. And he's you don't really know what's wrong. You just know he's sick and he's in a wheelchair. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she hasn't seen him. She's not there for his birthday because they had to go out to rescue the event horizon. And so she's very very guilty, feeling very guilty about that. And plus. Um, Jack Noseworthy's character uh, that um, who gets Justin who gets kind of like taken out um, of the picture kind of not completely taken out but he's incapacitated early on and they have this relationship which isn't really heavily described but they do a good job of putting it together by she calls him baby bear he calls her mama bear yeah right and and there's a there's a scene where he's in an airlock and she's trying to get him to open the door and you kind of see that when she's away from her son, who's much younger than he is, right? Mm-hmm. He's like her surrogate son. And for whatever reason, this is her his surrogate mom. You don't know anything about his relationship, but you get that from just that little interaction and just those names. Nobody else calls her that. Mm-hmm. Nobody else calls him that. But you get that right there. So that that makes that kind of connection there. It's not incredibly strong, but you can you sense it. Yeah. Um you don't get anything from Jolie Richards' character, um, Stark, right? You don't get any, like, when the ship starts messing with people, you don't really get it messing with her. Right. Now, that may be a time thing where we just don't have time to show it screwing with each person. Yeah, and keeping in mind that 30 minutes were cut from the film. Right. So, I mean, maybe it was, like, maybe it messed with her in the cut version. Right. So, but at the same time, you know, I don't think it's really necessary to show each and every person. Not like Suicide Squad, where they give a background on everybody except for Slipknot, the man who's going <laughs> to die, and it's not really worth telling a story about. Right? 
but but yeah, I don't think it's really necessary. You know the ship's screwing with everybody, right? It is the, there's enough of an uneasy feeling. You see that um, she's present when whatever it is tries to beat through the door. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that's I think that's more than enough. Yeah. You know, it's like you you see enough of that to be able to say, okay, it doesn't have to show where it's preying on her individual fear. You know that it's screwing with her too. Yeah. But because I think it's screwing with everybody. Right. But you know, some people have more of a fear than others. Yeah. Cooper is not on the ship long enough for it to screw with him. Right. He spends most of his time outside the ship, either on the hull of the ship or floating around in space. <laughs> <laughs> um so, so I, so, but the doctor though, like I said, they don't really explore much with him. And I think that we, I think we lose something in that because when there's a, there's a scene where Captain Miller, who keeps seeing this, this guy on fire, he finally tells, um, tells the, the, the doctor, he's like, Hey, there was another ship that was on and we had to, there was an explosion. This guy was on fire. But I couldn't save him because of fire and zero gravity. And we were in a life pod and I couldn't open up the door. And, you know, so I had to leave him behind. Right. Yeah. And I always felt guilty about that. I've never told anybody the story before, but I've been seeing him. Right. And uh, and he, the doctor replies, I wasn't going to tell you this, but this this passage from the recording we had in Latin. Right. I think I misinterpreted it. Instead of saying, you know, save me. It's actually, you know, uh, like save yourself. Save yourself, yeah. And so it's like he wasn't going to tell him that, right? He wasn't going to tell him that he felt like he mis, uh, you know, that he misinterpreted the the message and all this stuff. It's like, well, why why weren't you going to say anything, right? You know, why and what were you going to do about that? You know, but like we don't get enough about him. And then, like I said, mm-hmm. that scene where he puts the knife to to the guy's throat or the scalpel at the guy's throat is like and you also don't see the ship screwing with him right, right. so I, I think we miss a lot with his character um just because he has certain actions that he takes that we don't really know why we're just supposed to kind of go with it right right and, and for a crew as tight knit as they are that seems a little out of character a little bit yeah even even when the ships and you can say well the ship's screwing with everybody but we don't see a screw with him to the point where we we would expect that kind of reaction and just take it on face value. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, I'm sure you've got more things to, to go out. Uh, I was just gonna sort of run over like the full plot of the film. Yeah. Um. So obviously it's gonna be pretty spoiler heavy, but we're just gonna try to run through. The ba- the basic overview of what happens in the movie. Um, so it it kicks off. They're they're going off to do this rescue, and when they get there, they they get on board the Event Horizon, and we keep talking about the ship messing with people. So I guess we should elaborate on that. And it's it's various things for various people. It's mostly like weird hallucinations that are really violent and really graphic. <clears throat> and apparently this movie is extremely toned down. Again, go watch the Cinemasca review, but this is apparently, like, dropped down significantly from what they'd intended on doing. But, uh, 
like the the doctor lady, she sees her wheelchair bound son, but he's like strapped down, and his legs are just mangled beyond recognition, and he's got like maggots and open sores. Oh and stuff yeah, on yeah. Him. Which apparently in Hollywood they actually use real maggots for scenes like that. They're um they are specially grown yeah for those scenes so that like if, sterilized maggots right so that if they get into your mouth or whatever you can eat them or swallow them. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, yeah so. Lucky for this kid, but uh, just things things begin getting really, really intense, and then Sam Neill, a uh, Jurassic Park guy, uh, you can tell that he's starting to be impacted very differently than everybody else on the ship, and so he keeps seeing visions of his dead wife, and uh, that that's obviously messing with him, and it's hitting him pretty hard, but then any time the ship is messing with other people, he's sort of, like, getting into it. <laughs> Yeah, he's feeling it, and it's like, it's not not like he's enjoying it, but it's like he's, the ship, the ship is... It's, it's uh, like he's willing. Right. It's like, okay, I accept this, I embrace this. So, uh, you know, Turk mentioned that there's the scene where, like, something just starts trying to break into one of the rooms, and everybody's just like, what the hell, What what is this, what is going on? And Sam Neill just, like, jumps down from his seat, and he's like, we should open the door, and he right. just trots on over, and everybody just surrounds him, and they're like, no, no, you're not doing this, you're not opening the door. And so it gets to be a lot a lot of stuff like that, where he's just like, no, you know, this the ship actually has a personality of its own, and she doesn't want us to leave. She's not going to let us leave. So, uh... People are continually getting impacted by it. They're continually hallucinating. He's getting more and more into it and becoming more and more accepting of the fate. And uh, basically, it's revealed that um, the ship is pulling its power from hell. That, like, this warp drive core that's in the ship that's so revolutionary and allows it to break the laws of physics is drawing from the spirit world. So it basically becomes a science fiction slash religious thriller. Uh, well, yeah, it's like a, it's like a possession horror movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's like The Exorcist meets uh, Alien. And what, what did they? What did Cinemaster call it? Uh, Hellraiser. Hellraiser in space. Yeah, Hellraiser in space. <laughs> also what, known as Hellraiser Four. <laughs> right. Which I, I would say probably the better Hellraiser in space. <laughs> but the uh, the ship actually, um, like with it screwing, we keep saying it's screwing with people, but it's actually kind of drawing on their guilt because yeah, each one yeah. of them has guilt you know captain miller has guilt about having to leave that guy behind in order to save everybody else the the uh the med tech she has guilt about you know leaving her son not being there for him and then you find out and that Neil has guilt over his wife committing suicide right so what what you're led to believe it's not explicitly said but i don't think it needs to be said is that yeah. he was working so hard on building the event horizon that he wasn't there for his wife and basically kind of abandoned her. And then she was just basically lonely and felt abandoned and committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's what the ship is doing. It's kind of, it's kind of preying on their guilt and, and, and it's kind of if torturing them to kind of drive them maybe mad or, you know, just use that emotion. And say, you know, this is the thing that you did and that they, that they can't let go of or yeah, won't let yeah. go of. And uh, and so that's kind of interesting. But like I said, you don't get some of that stuff from the other people. So you don't know, you know, what it is that is, you know, that is weighing down. I guess you should say weighing down their soul in a sense. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> so it's pro- my guess would be that it's feeding off of the weaker people. Because, like, somebody like Cooper, he's, you know, even if he does have an event like that in his life, he's not going to let the guilt weigh him down. Mm-hmm. He's the comic relief. He's the person who's going to look at pretty much anything and laugh. So uh, a lot of that, I think it's just, it's feeding off of the people who obviously feel guilt. It's kind of like the Agatha Christie story, and then there were none. Um, oh, you mean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ten, ten, ten Little Indians, or by the older title, yes. <laughs> But uh, that's for another episode. <laughs> but no, like, um, as the people are getting killed off, you come to realize the ones who are getting murdered first are the ones who experience the least guilt, the ones who feel the most justified in what they did. So the people who are actually super guilty are the ones who are tortured even longer. So it's like it's it's that kind of thing where it's like, well, obviously Sam Neill is just torn up over his wife because he feels directly responsible for it, and um. And and I think uh, I think a part of that the reason that it's part it's preying upon their guilt is because it wants them like it, it eventually corrupts Sam Neill. But I think yeah. that <clears throat> there's something special about him that I'll talk about in a minute. But it wants them to kind of give in, right? It yeah. wants them to just to break down and, and give in. Um which is like when um when the uh uh Peters, right, is chasing after her son. She sees her son running away and she's chasing him, which, and of course, she's like, my son's running, right? And she's and she's chasing him and then it kind of leads to her death. He's like, you'll float too, you'll float too. Right. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> she, 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 she fell crashing to the ground. Um, but she didn't break down and just give in to her guilt, you know? Yeah, it was, yeah. And so I think because of that, it's it was like, well, I'm now, not I'm going to kill you, but, you know, you're not giving in to this. Yeah, you're not feeding me. Because she does have that exchange with the captain where she's like, well, you know, his dad's going to get him for the holidays, but I'll get him over summer vacation, so it's okay. So it's like right. she feels crappy about it, but she's also rising above it and moving on. And, uh, and you know, you and Miller, when he's talking uh, to the doctor and he says, you know, and the doctor asks him, well, what did you do when this guy's begging you to open up the airlock and save me? He's like... You know, to save me is like I close the airlock and save the other people. I feel bad about it, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I feel I feel bad that I couldn't save him. But I don't really necessarily feel guilty about leaving him behind because I saved these other people. Right. So I feel bad that I couldn't save him. I feel guilty about not being able to save him, but not that I left him behind. So it's like he's not giving into that. So even though he's feeling tormented by this, it's not because he didn't do the right thing. Right, you right. Know? And for Sam Neill, I think that, or, you know, the uh, Dr. Weir, the the thing that really gets him is, or I think why the ship has an extra special connection to him is because he was building the ship when his wife committed suicide. So at that point, when as he continued building the ship, he was kind of almost infusing it with his guilt. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there was already that connection, not just because it's his, he was the uh, he's the maker of the Event Horizon, but because as you know, as he's building a ship and he's putting all of his love into the ship, and not into his wife, mm-hmm. she commits suicide. So now that love turns into this guilt. You know, it's kind of like when someone, you know, when people say, you know, like, you know, there's like, there's a psychic presence in a house, right? You yeah, know, yeah. it's like, well, now he's put basically imprinting this ship with it. The ship drive 
is actually a miniature black hole. And that's what allows it to basically fold space to go from point A to point B. Right. In the middle of folding space, instead of going from point A to point B, it pretty much goes to point A point five or, or like the space in between, you know? Yeah. And uh, which in this case was hell. Yeah. And then it, you know, it tortured the crew, the, you know, the ship's crew and then hell spits it back out and be like, okay, now we want somebody else to torture. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so because if, you know, just my, my impression, because he had imprinted so much of himself onto the ship, mm-hmm. right? It was like when it came <clears throat> back, it immediately called to him because you get that in the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like when the event horizon, it's almost like, like the event horizon sent a beacon to him as soon as it showed back up before it sent out, before they pick up the stress uh, call that it's like, I'm home. Yeah. You know, because that represented everything that he had left. And then when it disappeared is like, now you know what it feels like to be abandoned. Right. Just like you abandoned her. You know? Yeah. So it, it may, you could even possibly say that the reason that the ship went to hell in the first place was because of him. You know, he had, he imprinted this thing on the ship. Mm-hmm. And soon it, when it folded space, right? And uh, so let's take, for example, um, Nightcrawler from yeah. the X-Men. Okay. It used to always be, you know, that Nightcrawler would teleport. He would just go from this place to this place. Later on, the writer kind of said, you know, well, actually, when he teleports, the reason is that puff of brimstone is because he's not teleporting from point A to point B. He's actually opening up a portal to limbo and he actually crosses through limbo yeah. to get to point B. Yeah, yeah. And that's why there's that puff of brimstone is because that's actually coming from from limbo. Right. So if you look at the event horizon the same way, when it crossed over, instead of it just making that smooth transition between the two that's so fast and instantaneous that you don't realize you've crossed, it went into limbo, but it never came out of point B. And then it was like, oh, you feel the psychic energy here? Right. And it's like, this, you know, it's like, oh, this guilt, this love slash guilt, because the stuff that you see happening on the ship in the flashback is all this pain and everything else. But then there's also, I think you would say that twinge of pleasure in there. Right. You know, basically like like a masochistic, a sadomasochistic thing. It was like, you know, there's that I'm, you know, I'm getting pain. I'm also giving pain. And I'm loving both parts and of that. I love it. <laughs> right. And then it done. I mean, it, I think it probably used them up and, and then it came back for more. Yeah. Now, this is just me adding some extra stuff to it that, you know, probably doesn't really exist. But you don't know how long those people were tortured. Right, right. We don't know how long any of that stuff took place. Just because the event horizon showed up seven years later doesn't mean that. For those people in that ship, that what happened took seven years. Oh, yeah. Well, it clearly operates outside of the boundaries of time. Right. Which is why it can travel faster than light. So, so it could have been like one day for them or it could have been a hundred years for them. Oh, yeah. Easily. And the thing is, you don't you find one body on the ship, which is frozen. Mm-hmm. You're banned, right? Yep. Uh, corpsicle, right? <laughs> but the other bodies outside of like blood and gore that's all over the place, which they never actually like do any kind of like DNA testing to see... Whose blood that is. Yeah. Yeah. 
outside of that, you don't see any of the other like um, members of the crew. So you have no idea where they are. They probably are in that hell still being tortured. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most likely. Um, there is a flaw in the movie. Uh, well, maybe it was directed by. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I shouldn't say. I, I can't say there was a flaw in the movie. I'd have to. I'd have to look at the ending again to see. Um, uh, but, but, uh, and I'll say, at the end of the movie, uh, when they're trying to when they're trying to leave, so the two ships, the Event Horizon, and then the uh, the rescue vehicle, the Lewis and Clark. Yeah. Um, the Lewis and Clark is destroyed by Doctor Weir to make them have to stay on the Event Horizon. Uh, they, they say, when they say that they're going to stay there on, um, or they're going to like blow up the, the event horizon, use the lifeboat section of the ship to escape. They tell, um, they tell the doctor and they say, uh, get, you know, get Justin, who's in a containment pod and everything, get him, uh, on the ship. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. He goes, I want to go to medical and get, um, and, and get some, my equipment first. Right. Um. Uh, well, he actually dies in medical, but then at the end you do see Justin there. Yeah, and but that's in that nightmare dream sequence. Yeah, when yeah. they cut to the actual real life, what we see to be a real life. I don't remember if Justin's body was there, but they had no time to actually get him to the lifeboat section of it. So yeah, I'm not, yeah, we'll I'm not to... sure if Justin actually survived or not. Yeah, we'd have to rewatch that, but. Uh, but yeah, so eventually Sam Neill totally falls to this thing, to this entity, to the ship. Uh, he winds up getting covered in cut marks and burns. He, he winds up getting completely burned alive, doesn't he? Um, uh, no, because that was, uh, he was pretending to be the burned Oh guy. yeah, he was just imitating him, so that's where the flames came but, in. But he did rip his own eyeballs out. He did, yep. Gouged him out with his thumb and skull-fucked himself. <laughs> and I will, I'm going to say something here, because... And I think this is maybe just a Hollywood thing, right? Um, like, whenever they showed anybody, especially when they show his wife, right? And her eyes are, are plucked out, right? Yeah, yeah. You see all the way into, like, basically the back of their skull. Yeah. Which, one, if your eyes were plucked out, right? You really, you just basically see into their brain. Right. So, and I guess maybe that's too hard to show or whatever. Or maybe, like, it's just one of those Hollywood things. Just, like, you shoot a car and it immediately explodes. Right. Um you know, you know, well, I know the shooting at the gas tank, you know, actually, but you're never actually shooting at the gas tank. You're shooting it at the hole where you put the gas in. The gas <laughs> tank is actually underneath the car. Right. So, you know, but anyway, you know, but I, that that bothers me because actually, it should just be black or you should actually see like the wrinkles in their brain. Right. Right. But instead, you just see like this like pink cavernous area, which is just kind of annoying. Yeah, it's it's pretty weird. Um, one thing that Cinemassacre talked about, um, or didn't talk about, was okay, they did talk about, um, was that it was like, the ship was so, the, the architecture of the ship, right, which was just kind of like weird looking and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, I actually like, really you know, liked it. <laughs> and they were saying, you know, why is that, why, why does the event horizon look so weird? Um, and they also talked about how all the, the extra footage and things like that, which were stored, you know poorly stored and you know were destroyed 
when Event Horizon came out, HBO did a first look on Event Horizon. And I remember watching this. <laughs> and during the first look, they had said that the design of the Event Horizon was built off the Notre Dame Cathedral architecture. <laughs> they took the blueprints from that and actually just basically did them in metal and, you know, just made them, <laughs> they just gave it a scientific look. So all the columns and all that kind of stuff is basically the Notre Dame Cathedral. That's crazy. And just get in, because that's why it has that kind of heavy sci-fi gothic tone to it. Yeah, yeah. And so, but again, not having any of that information there, and it's very easy to see why they say Sim Asker you know, was like, well, we don't have any of this footage here. HBO doesn't ever just run their, you know, first looks, you know, right. just post them, you know, <laughs> online. Because who the hell wants to look at a first look for a movie that came out 20 years ago? Exactly, that should yeah. be on the DVD, right? It should be, yeah. Well, in this case, of course, it's not because. <laughs> but I, I remember that from when the movie came out 20 years ago. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know that. I mean, I always really liked the design of the ship. I thought it was—I thought it was really good because it's this—it's uh, this hybridization of science fiction and like kind of arcane fantasy. It, it looks like something that like a dark wizard would put together or something. Yeah, so. it's 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 you know <clears throat> uh, that it, it it looks really the the tone is really I I couldn't. Even with even without all the blood and the gore and everything that's all over the the, the certain areas of the ship, <laughs> there's no way I could live on that ship. It, it's it it's menacing. <laughs> it's the complete opposite of the Enterprise, which is very bright yep. and sterile. This ship is very dark, and it's it, it, it would just it would just like it would just put you in a funky mood like the entire time on that ship. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's brilliantly designed. Very brilliantly designed. Yeah, okay, um, going back to the Doctor, and I'm, I don't remember if uh, if they talked about this in Cinemaster's review or not. Um, but uh, when when uh, Doctor Weir kills the Doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And he basically, you know, beats him up, and then he disembowels him while he's alive, and kind of strings him up in a pseudo sounds of the lambs type kind of way. Oh, that, right? that was that was a total Hellraiser thing. Yeah. That that scene alone is why they call it Hellraiser in space. Um, well, that and the blood orgy, which we'll get to. I think that that his part of his fear was basically being being like like I said dissected while he's alive. Because when he rips his shirt open, he's got that scar down in front of his chest, mm-hmm. which is almost maybe like a um like he had had like open heart surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that was a fear of his, right? That, um, but they don't really go into it. But, and that's probably, that might be part of the 30 minutes or whatever of, uh, you know, of stuff that was cut. And, but yeah, I think it, you know, like I said, just looking at it has an interpretation. Yeah. And I'd I'd love to actually see like a screenplay of it because I think from what I was seeing on IMDb, it looks like there were longer screenplays in existence. Just uh, all the footage is gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I I guess I guess the biggest thing left here to talk about is the blood orgy, mm. which is kind of a difficult scene to discuss because 
everything flashes by, just like hundreds and hundreds of images just flash by, and they don't last for longer than like a single frame. Right. It's so fast, and so I don't even know most of what I saw. <laughs> I know it was extremely unsettling. Um. So there is a uh, there is the one scene which is very clear of someone shoving their hand in someone else's mouth and kind of like down their throat. Right. Um, someone's attacking a woman and, um, and there's clearly a scene where one guy is raping another guy. Okay. See, I didn't see that. I saw like, which, I mean, they did a freeze frame on Cinemasker too, but like I saw the person who, it was like barbed wired to a two by eight board Oh yeah, and like it's it, the wire is so tight on their skin that it's just embedded in their bone. It's really that that's pretty jacked up. Um, of course, there's like the spike going through the back of the guy's skull and out of his mouth, stuff like that. And it's like this is the tame shit. <laughs> this this is what ha- this is what's left after it got cold. And from what like James Rolfe and them were saying. Uh, the, the stuff that got cut, they were, like, using actual amputees and stuff to make it really look like the limbs were getting severed. All kinds of stuff. Just really, really messed up stuff. Well, I will say that that's not unusual. Um, if you go back to um, Poltergeist 2, yeah, there's, yeah. The, uh, there's the, was it the tequila monster or whatever, wherein the father gets drunk and he vomits up the thing and then it turns into... Like that weird slimy creature that crawls across the floor. Yes. Oh man, I had totally forgotten about that. But yeah, that is Poltergeist too. So they they actually hired a guy who didn't have legs for <laughs> that scene. In Spider Man Three, there's a scene where Spider Man uh, is fighting Sandman in the back of a of the armored car, yeah, the, the Brinks truck, and he punches his fist through Sandman. They hired a guy. Uh, who, who had was, a giant gaping hole in his torso. So you know this guy. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> they hired a guy who was an amputee. And he was missing like the lower half of his arm. And he wore the Spider-Man suit just so he could punch. And his nub would hit... Uh, <laughs> Would hit the Thomas Hayden Church in his stomach, yeah. and then they CGI'd his hand, and then the back of his hand going through him. That's really cool. And uh, there was a uh, there was a casting call. So I used to go to, and I haven't been there in a while. I don't even know why I haven't been there in a while. But <laughs> there was there's a website called Superhero Hype. Oh, I thought and, it was like uh, <laughs> No, we'll see. And now I've got to make that <laughs> right. Uh, anyway. Um, Man, I can put a link to that on uh, on Ancestry.com. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, there was a there. They sometimes will post on superhero hype casting calls. Um, they're like, "Hey, there! This movie right here is has a, a casting call for it," <laughs> and they will say, "We're looking for people of XXX." And I think it was Guardians of the Galaxy. Part one of the uh, one of the castings for that said we are looking for and it was amputees because for some of the alien scenes right if you have like people that are missing like this leg or that leg they can basically put this big prosthetic on that missing limb and make you look Hmm. like you've had this whole like thing going on as opposed to trying to 
you know, try to hide an arm or this kind of thing. Right, right. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, amputees are really big and high, but yeah, they do. There's, there's a lot that you can, there's a lot for different movies, especially sci-fi movies or different things like that, where, you know, they can, they can get roles and everything because it's, it's easier to use them for things. So you wouldn't think that, hey, here's this guy that I wore a Spider-Man suit just long enough to do a scene where I punch <laughs> this guy or whatever. And then, you know, CGI is a lot cheaper than, you know, you know whatever. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I'm saying I'm not going to I'm not going to put them down for using amputees for that one scene because it's actually done quite a, you know, quite often. Interesting. Yeah, that. I had no idea how much it was really done. But uh But yeah, it's it's a it's definitely an unsettling scene like when when the reviews were talking about it, I was like, how bad can it be, you know? It's like shit. I've watched Hellraiser. It can't it can't be that gruesome? Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's just just in those in those quick cuts. And I think one of the things that makes it um, even more graphic is that it is cut so quickly, and oh, you yeah. just get the, the 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 jarring intercut of screams where it's like ah, ah, you know yeah, the, yeah. that, and it it kind of it makes it more disturbing. Um, yeah, so. it's it's definitely unsettling. And then, like I said, when you do, it's um, it's like watching uh, from dusk till dawn. When uh, when uh, uh, George Clooney's character comes back to the hotel. Oh yeah, yeah. So so when Seth comes back to the hotel and and Richie and he's looking in the he's looking in the um, in the room and they just keep cutting to just different scenes. There's blood splattered here and there. And and then you look and you're like, uh, like what what did I see? Did did I see anything? Right, right. Um, it reminds me of the um, of a scene from Rosemary's Baby, where uh, I remember watching it because uh, I'm trying to think it's what it hell was. Of a movie. <laughs> I'm trying to think what it was that they were talking about. It was like a like I think it was like a documentary making of, and when they're making Rosemary's Baby, uh, they're doing like the dailies, right? Yeah. And the studio was looking, and there's a scene where Mia Farrow's on the phone, and she's talking to somebody, and the camera's all the way in the hallway, but it's not centered on her, right? Yeah. And uh, and the the studio was like, wait, what? Why why is the camera not centered on her, right? Yeah. And it's like, you know, why why is she like on the like all the way on like the the left hand, right hand of the screen or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And like the rest of the screen is being taken up by this empty space here. It's like she's talking to somebody. We need to see who it is that she's talking to, right? And uh, and basically the response was, well, no, because if you can't see who she's talking to, right? Yeah. The audience is going to wonder, and they're going just like what you don't see, your mind fills in. Oh yeah, closure. And then when they watched, when they were like, they screened the movie or whatever, when it got to that scene, they said that all they saw were a bunch of people in the audience, like tilt their heads to obviously if they could try to peek around the corner and see who it was. And it was like, that's why. That's That's why. And I think it's the same thing here is that, you know, you're only seeing snippets of things and you're like, like, what, 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 what did I see? Did I really see? What I think I saw, and like you know, I say I saw the one scene there. You're like, I didn't catch that. Yeah. But you yeah. saw this one thing here, so it's like you catch little bits of it, right? And you're like, whoa, like, what? What did I see there? Yeah, yeah. 
it it definitely it definitely preys on the way the human mind works where it's like there was enough information registered in my brain to know that I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, I'm glad that I wasn't on that ship. Yeah. Because <laughs> fuck that ship. So, uh, one, one thing that did make me laugh, which, I mean, it's not, it's not a comedy, so it shouldn't have made me laugh, but you've got that part where we have, we, you and I have a very dark sense of humor. We truly do. But, uh, you've got, that scene where Sam Neill all like covered in scars and scabs and cuts and all that. And he's, he's telling the captain how he's going to like take his crew and how his crew now belongs to, uh, to the event horizon. And so he just starts wailing on him and just starts beating on him. He's like, you're not going to take my crew. And at that point, there are two living crew members left. <laughs> it's like, well, you, okay. <laughs> You, you could have started beating the shit out of him about four crew members ago, buddy, but... Uh, it's like, if, if, if you really wanted his crew, you probably shouldn't have killed half of them. <laughs> so, uh, so they do manage to finally get the escape, and, um, you know, there's there's only the two or three people left alive, and there's that, there's that horror movie twist right at the end, where uh, they're woken out of stasis. Um, Jolie Richards is the one who's first woken up, which... I'm okay with. I like her. Yeah. She's, I've, I've got a massive Hollywood crush on her. So, uh, and, and she's, she's one of those actresses who I've had a crush on since I was like five. So. Wow. Yeah. 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 She's, yeah, she's always been. I'm not sure if I had a crush on anybody at five. <laughs> My hormones kicked in extremely early. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Eating all that Mexican chicken. <laughs> Uh, sorry. So, I mean, for for those of you that are unaware, okay, <laughs> I'm not being racist. There sure was a <laughs> yeah, there was a thing several like decades ago, um, back when they were first testing like uh, uh, hormone uh, engineering for plants or whatever, and they were you know using like uh, hormones to to grow like crops and everything faster. But what they didn't realize is basically it's a complete FOTG thing, right? Uh, Food of the Gods, HP Lovecraft. <laughs> but what they didn't realize was that, um, like, the what they were doing to make the crops grow faster, right? Yeah. Um, was, was still staying in the crops. So, like, the uh, when they would feed, like, the stuff to the chick, uh, the thing it was, like, the chicken feed was making the chickens grow faster, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that it's that hormone stayed in the chicken. So when children ate that, they started to uh, develop faster. So you had very young kids that were fully developing right. at a young age, boys and girls. Hmm. So that's why I'm like, it's that Mexican chicken right, because it was right. happening in Mexico. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that like puberty kicked in when I was that age. I'm just saying that I was very, very young when I realized I was extremely into girls. So, uh, yeah. Which I think, I, I know I've talked about that on like Karoba. I don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast, but like I, I, I saw the, the film The Stepfather like when I was four or five for the first time. Which it's not like it's not like it was a thing where their mom and dad were like, "Oh yeah, come on, we're gonna watch a family film." It was like I wasn't really supposed to see it, but I saw it. Right. But like you know, there's that nude scene there, and that was like, "Oh yeah, I'm totally into girls." 
I always wondered why my father watched Hee Haw, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so uh, the Event Horizon ship, I like the design of the ship. We mm-hmm. talked about the actual, not just the the architecture inside, but the actual design of the ship is really kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, there's when it comes to building a spaceship, there's you have to worry about aerodynamics, you know? Right, and ships right. that big are not built on a planet and then launched in outer space. They're built in outer space. Right. So, you know, so making it look anything more than like a big flying square or a rectangle is completely irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you're entering a planet's atmosphere, then yeah, you might want to make it aerodynamic. But, you know, if for a ship that's built in space, it's probably never going to like land because, I mean, you, you know, you most of the time... you So... Take, for example, like a Star Trek kind of situation. Right. Your ship rarely ever enters the planet's atmosphere. You have a shuttlecraft or you beam down. Right. In Star Wars, yeah, the ships kind of fly in and out. But, you know, even like it's very rare you see something as big as a Star Destroyer enter a planet's atmosphere unless it's crashing. Right. right. <laughs> so, so the fact that it, you know, doesn't have this aerodynamic look, whatever, is irrelevant because it's never designed to go into the planet I- itself. Yeah. The um, the uh, Event Horizon ship is one of those. It's really kind of interesting looking, but the whole look of the ship is really just for aesthetics. Yeah. You yeah. know? Uh, but the ship has this very long neck uh, that separates the, I guess, the bridge mm-hmm. from the other parts of the ship. And one of the things you don't see in this movie, which, again, I don't think is really necessary, is you don't see the crew quarters. Yeah, yeah. But, again, you don't really need to because they're on the ship. The whole movie, out once they get to the event horizon, takes place in 20 hours. Yeah. Because they realize that they um, they only have, like, uh, atmosphere scrubbers um, to allow for them to be able to breathe for 20 hours. Yeah. And then after that, they're not going to have clean air. And there's a scene in there when they're trying to get the atmosphere scrubbers, the clean ones off the event horizon, get them on the Lewis and Clark so they can take off. And the uh, Peter says to Smitty, she's like, you know, you want to have clean air to breathe, right? And he's like, no. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't give a shit whether I have clean air or not. I want off this ship. Which I love that line. She's oh, like, yeah, that was fantastic. You want you want clean air, but no, oh, I want off this ship. <laughs> um wasn't that what he said? He was like, not on this ship, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so uh, so the whole movie takes place in that time. So the fact that we don't see crew quarters is com- you know, it's great. We we yeah, don't need yeah. to see those because the only thing we're we're, we're doing here is we're in the infirmary because Justin was hurt. Yeah. Other than that, everything else just needs to take place on the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so- I think I think a big flaw of a lot of sci-fi and fantasy movies is that they try too hard to world build. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't I don't need exposition on what makes your world cool. I just want to see it. Right. And so th- this does do a really good job of that. So I y'all just to kind of touch base here. Um, in Solo, we see a very brief, like, uh, section of the crew quarters when they're going through, like, Lando's clothing. It's like, boy, he sure does have a lot of capes, right? Yeah. Which, uh, that's so cute. I, we'll talk about Solo another time, right? <laughs> Flashback humor classic. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll, 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 we'll dismantle that movie. In a, <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to because... <laughs> Is it beneath you? 
what? Okay. <laughs> for for me to for me to pick on Solo, right? <laughs> it was is unfair because honestly, if we're gonna take a look at the most recent like Star Wars movies, right? Rogue One, then Solo, then um, Force Awakens. Then Last Jedi. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, so, so if I'm gonna if I'm gonna make fun of these movies, right? And that's in order of best to worst, right? Then for me to just start with Solo is completely unfair. Yeah, yeah. And I don't really feel like <laughs> revisiting like Last Jedi and Force Awakens just we've, so I can make fun of Solo. Yeah, we've talked about that pretty extensively. <laughs> so, but, but, um, in the New Hope. Uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi we never see the crew quarters of the Millennium Falcon right yeah and we're okay with that we see you know the the gun turrets we see the the cockpit mm-hmm. and then we see um, I guess maybe two sections of like recreation areas because yeah, yeah. where Luke does his training with Obi-Wan is not the same place where they play chess right right because there's no chess table there in that scene yeah unless it retracted yeah i guess it could yeah yeah i haven't looked at like the ship layouts and blueprints for years and years and years now but but we don't see well, when we see the, the smuggling you know like uh set cargo hold right right we don't right. see the rest of the ship and we don't need to i never wonder where they sleep at or what their beds look like right yeah you know it that's irrelevant yeah. uh, and the thing is i know that they have to sleep on there like if it's the x-wing obviously the x-wing doesn't have like a murphy bed in it right <laughs> you know but the millennium falcon should because that stays out you know that that just flies from place to place, you know. Yeah. And there's times when he's going to be out there. He's not going to sleep in the in the cockpit. But I never, I never thought about it. So they say taking that back to Event Horizon, we don't see that, and it's okay. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just completely okay. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that Event Horizon does right, absolutely, and that's definitely surprising considering its source material. Uh, the uh, the ship they decide they're going to blow up the event horizon when they can't get off of it and I love that uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character Captain Miller is like I'm blowing this ship up you know yeah. and, but I think he makes a mistake early on that says we're getting off this ship and then we're going to launch some some you know tactical misses at it you know and, and, and it goes until and blow the ship up until there's nothing left of it right right then the ship hears him. Yes. Of course, he doesn't realize that the ship is alive. Um, but the ship hears him, and that's when it kind of stops him. But there's a way of separating the 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 uh, cockpit, right, and the bridge of the ship, which is the life pod section, from the other half of the ship. Yeah. And there's that whole long neck. And then there's got multiple... Um, explosives in there to detonate it. And I was telling you during the film that you really don't need all those explosives. They're really cool and they make a really cool scene at the end, but really you need one set of explosives and then you need a redundancy. Right. But multiple explosives along the neck of that ship, once you once you've severed the connection, then you've severed the connection. Oh yeah, totally. Um and and here the other part of that is that you really don't need those explosives at all. What you just need is a section to detach the life pod yeah. from the other part of the ship. Yeah, absolutely. Just like the just like detaching the saucer section of the Enterprise from the other part of the ship. Right. 
So having those explosives there are really unnecessary. It really was just a way to be able for them to say, we have an explosive that Dr. Weir puts on the Lewis and Clark and blows it up. Right. Which is a big flaw there is the Lewis and Clark is is tethered to, you know, the event horizon, but it blows up. It's just like any of they 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 dock to it, right? Yeah. It blows up, but that explosion doesn't do any damage to the event horizon, which right. it should have. Yeah. Yeah. Um so that, that's kind of a flaw there. Smitty's death aboard the uh, Event Horizon when he's looking for the bomb and he finds it is really good. Yeah. Because he just looks there and he just cries. Yeah, just that wily e. Coyote, like, huh. So, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, although I, I don't like the fact that the bomb clearly has a button that says disarm right on it. It does. And he had, like, six seconds. So it's like, you, you could have been like, disarm? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Although it would have been kind of funny instead of, instead of the cry, instead of him just like making a dive for the disarm <laughs> button and then it exploding. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so um, the ending, uh, it ends with like a, a false ending, like a dream sequence. Because, uh, oh man, what's what's her character's name? Uh, Stark. Or, Stark, yeah. Uh, you, you'd think I would remember that. Uh, but yeah, so Stark... She's she's woken out of the hypersleep thing, uh, which it's it's totally the exact same type of stasis that they use in Alien, like it's it's identically lifted from Alien. Well, no, okay, I, uh, let me let me stop you there because uh, in Alien they actually are kind of like they're put in a stasis thing. Yeah. In Event Horizon, they're put in a like a like a suspended. Um, it's not water, but liquid. Yeah. And. Supposedly, if you were actually going to travel like at a certain speed in space or whatever, you would have to be suspended in like a certain liquid, yeah, for you to for your body to be able to like survive that yeah, kind of space yeah. travel. They they do talk about that that like the G's are too high for them to like not be in the pods. So. The one thing about that scene that I think is kind of ridiculous is when they say we're going to open the pod and they open it up and all the liquid pours out. I'm like, yeah. you think there'd be a drain inside there <laughs> and then you open it up. Cause I don't like, I don't have to like open the pod up and then I got to like a, have a mop and everything. It's like, <laughs> God damn. <laughs> this guy gets it. <laughs> So yeah, so she's she's woken out of the hypersleep thing, and then rescue one takes his mask off, and oh, it's Sam Neil, and then he like grabs her, and then she wakes up, and she's just like freaking out and panicking, and the rest of the crew's trying to like talk her down, and they're like, no, no, it's fine, it's just it's just rescue crew, we we really need to get some help in here, guys, and then like it it fades to black, which I liked. Well. It didn't just fade to black. The rescue crew keeps saying, "Hey, we need, we need, we need the sedative in here, guys. You know, we need someone to bring a sedative because she's flipping her shit, right? We yeah, need a sedative yeah. in here." And the camera starts to pan away, and it goes through the um, one of the one of the opening doors, and they keep saying that they need somebody, and then the doors close shut. Yeah, but no one, but no one ever comes in there. Yeah, nobody so, ever does. So it's it's like you know, are the doors closing shut because the doors are closing shut? Are they closing shut because? They've brought the evil back with them. Right, you know? right. Yeah, just, I, I like that it's not a resolution at all. Right. She's still flipping her shit as it fades to black, and that's so cool. Because if you think about it, if if the... So, 
when they first get to uh, the event horizon, they do thermal scans and they're like, I'm picking up readings, but I'm not picking up any life forms. Yeah. And it's yeah. all over the ship. So to think that by destroying the, oh, I'm sorry, Weir sets the ship to go back through the portal right? yeah. To, yeah. To, to open up the drive again. That's going to take them, you know, back to hell. Right. right? And so when they blow up everything, the ship kind of blows up too, but it, it actually kind of sucks itself away to hell. And um, and without having to bridge, presumably it can't come back. Yeah. But because you had this influence that you kind of see early on all through the ship to believe it is not in the life pod, right. I think it is, is false. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, it's clearly still very much there with them. But at the same time, though... Your only other choice is to stay there, right, and die. So you know it's it's really no choice at all. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lose lose situation. Definitely a lose lose situation. So uh, yeah, I was I was very pleasantly surprised with it. Um, it the the premise is very strong. Uh, it's executed competently. That's that's the best way to say it. Um, I'd say the cinematography is good. It's not great, but it's good. Writing is impeccable. It's it's brilliantly written. Acting is impeccable. All the actors are great. I don't think there's I don't think there's like a dud player in the roster that I can think of. No, I would say that. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say the writing is impeccable. I think it's done very well for the kind of movie that it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, considering so, the genre and the subject matter, it's right. And it's like it's here is a really nice sci-fi horror pop. Not only even say popcorn, but just like a, a really good. Not I'm not trying to you know make like a stunning you know, like you know, like, right, you know right. great. I'm not trying to make a make. A cinematic masterpiece. Right, right. I'm trying exactly. to make a really good sci-fi horror movie, and it does a good job at yeah. that. It's um, it's kind of like Commando, um, which I still haven't seen yet, but from the reviews and stuff I've read about it, Commando is considered to be the best formulaic action movie that you're going to see. It's like it meets every beat and every trope that you're supposed to see in an action movie. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess you can say that. So, it's, it's kind of like, Event Horizon is the best sci-fi horror movie you're going to see in the fact that it meets every trope, it meets every main beat that it's supposed to see. It doesn't bring anything new to the table. No. It doesn't bring anything different to the table. It just takes all these pre-existing tropes that are supposed to be in that movie, and it pulls them through really nicely. So, I I would say... For me, I wouldn't say it's one of the best, but I would say it it hits all those levels, mm -hmm. just like a lot of, a lot of other movies. Yeah, um, yeah. Where it's like you know, it's like Bing, 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 you know, and and which is satisfying. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's. I mean, I own it, and when I had a chance to buy it on DVD, I did. I don't own it on Blu-ray. I don't think I have to own it on Blu-ray. My DVD copy is good enough. Yeah, but yeah. um, but yeah, I uh, I. You know, I got it and I liked it, and we watched it, and it's it's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, it's I, I think for if you watched, if you just sat down and watched it, um, there there are a there are some unnecessary, I just think, jump scares in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will say that this is before jump scares became were a big thing. Right, right. right. And and the movie does that I think to set the tone in the beginning but then it doesn't do that later on it's like right. I'm, I want to I want to you know make you uneasy 
right? To start off with and you know, kind of you know bring you out of your out of your comfort zone. And then I'm not going to really use that anymore. Yeah. Like now, yeah. I've, now I've got all the rest of this to play with. Now that you're on edge, I've got all this other stuff to play with. <laughs> yeah. 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 I didn't. I, the the jump scares didn't make a huge impression on me, which you know I'm very susceptible to jump scares. Yeah. But to me, like a successful jump scare is one that makes me like startled and kind of like make a noise, maybe not flat out scream, but like at least an oh, and then I'll laugh. And you know, I didn't really get that out of the jump scares with this. Right. But, uh, I mean, I, I I was extremely happy with the movie, so Def, definitely, I would I would say highly recommended. People definitely need to check it out. Yeah, it's, it's worth a watch, and I think it's one of those things where you know it's not just worth a watch once. Um, you might not need to watch it, you know, every year, but it's one of those you would probably come back to maybe after two years and be like, oh yeah, it might arise, yeah, yeah. I'll check that out again. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think it's good, and uh, it's. It's pretty cool. I mean, like I said, all in all, it, even for a movie, you know, talking about the uh, the special effects in it, mm-hmm. right? The 3D effects, they're not the best, but I think that they look good for the movie. Yeah, I mean, for 1997, they're great, especially compared to a lot of the other CG that was going around in 1997. Yeah. It's it's pretty solid, which apparently that's also where like well over half the budget went was into really nice CG. Yeah. So. Oh, so, um, yes, yeah, so that is Event Horizon. Stay tuned for, or if you haven't already checked out, we are going to be doing a, uh, doing a review of, uh, uh, Deep Rising. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Stephen Sommers, the guy who did, uh, the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies, and, uh, it, I'm going to say that, uh, Deep, Deep Rising is one of my guilty pleasure movies. <laughs> I would love to see a sequel to that because of the way the the movie ends. Um, I'm not gonna say it's a great movie, but it has uh, it, it's just a guilty pleasure movie of mine. I do enjoy it. Um, so we'll be doing that. And uh, what's the other one we're we're gonna uh, be doing soon? Rollerball. Right? Oh yes, Rollerball. Yeah, we want to talk about Rollerball. My my oh my favorite bro, Rollerball. So, yeah. All right. So uh, stay tuned for those if you say you haven't seen them already. And uh, this has been. Uh, 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 it's been what? us. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, wait, wait, what are we doing? This is a Corova? No, this is. Uh, this is a Corova Entertainment <laughs> production. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, it's so. It's been our moms think we're funny. Yeah, our moms think we're funny. I'm not sure they do anymore, but yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, on Event Horizon. Right. So thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs> All right there, folks. That was Our Moms Think We're Funny. Let's, uh, let's give them a hand.